Have you ever wanted to start your own podcast? Maybe like the Bruce Cruz podcast? Then I have to tell you all about Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. And the best part, it's free. That's right, free. Anchor sports a plethora of creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor distributes your podcast for you. So your voice and experience can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. One of the coolest parts, you have the option to make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor.fm to get started on your podcast today. Bruiser Nation, welcome back to another fine edition of the Bruise Cruise Podcast, Episode 6, Brutal Games. Yes, folks, we're going to look at some brutal matchups today. First off, from the Royal Rumble 1999, The Rock versus Mick Foley in a truly violent I Quit match. Then, our main excursion from Foley Loaded 2000, Triple H versus Chris Jericho in a last man standing match. And there's no titles on the line, folks, in this one. This is just quite plain and simple, a grudge match. So get ready to take a ride on the Bruise Cruise. We'll get started with the legendary I Quit match in just a moment. And we have reached our first port of call, The Rock vs. Mankind from the Royal Rumble 1999 in an I Quit match for the then known as WWF Championship. I am Jason Bruiser McCarthy, your Bruise Cruise director, and this rivalry really started back at Survivor Series 1998 Deadly Game that I covered on the very first edition of the Bruise Cruise podcast when The Rock joined the newly established corporation. Now, the nice twist to this whole little rivalry here to lead to the I Quit match is Mankind used mind games to bait The Rock into agreeing to the I Quit match, which was very smart character-wise for Mick Foley. Character-wise, he was never known as the sharpest knife in the drawer. It really showed that there was some intelligence behind all that absolutely indestructible man. And I say that with conviction, guys. I truly believe that Mick Foley is one of the toughest men to ever step into that ring. He was really on his A-game promo-wise during this rivalry, and and The Rock was too, but it's almost like once The Rock became The Rock, when was he not on his A-game? So I really want to stress how good Foley was on the microphone during this rivalry. The Rock was very important to the legend that is Mick Foley. But I will say, with that pre-match package, can, can we just one time just one time have The Rock show up on Raw and have a promo versus promo battle with Paul Heyman. That would be wonderful. And Foley was always pedal to the metal, man. He ran full speed into those steps and took it right on the knee and just kind of went over them. He didn't jump. He didn't do anything. He just ran into them and his body just collapsed over them. There was really good use of the microphone. And that is one tough microphone because Foley nailed The Rock with it. The Rock hit Foley with it too later in the match. But that microphone took a beating. And honestly, they beat the living 
hell out of each other. Foley took a power slam to the outside over the barricade. The Rock rang the ring bell on Foley's head not once but twice. They almost ate it. They tried to do a rock bottom spot through the Spanish announce table and the Spanish announce table was not having it. It just gave way. They could have been seriously injured. We had seen that years later. Triple H tried to pedigree Kurt Angle through an announce table that gave way and Kurt Angle had to leave the matchup. But that's just a story for a different show. I'll, I'll cover that match. Don't worry. I'm gonna be doing this for a long time, I hope. Then they work to the, the outside and they get a regular ladder. Now, what I mean by regular ladder, for those of you that don't watch a lot of wrestling and are just listening for support of me these days in wrestling, you basically have a ladder built from two. And they, they did that back then too, but this was, you know, the, the production cruise ladder. You know, the regular ladder that, you know, you and me will have in the shed so we can clean our gutters and whatnot. And Foley did a running elbow drop to this thing. It was kind of a weird spot. Like Foley elbow dropped it. The Rock took control and he tried to leave from best I can make of the, the psychology they were using. He tried to leave through the crowd. They ended up fighting on a catwalk and good old Mick Foley and his crazy ass. He gets himself tossed off onto electrical equipment and that had to hurt. And I don't know if he got electrocuted, but it was really well done. He hit those electrical boxes and all the lights went out in the arena. Sparks were flying. Now they did have a bunch of cords on top of these boxes to kind of cushion his fall, thank God. But when I hear The Rock ask Earl Hebner, is he okay? You wonder. Now Shane showing concern and trying to get The Rock to stop that storyline. But leading up to that for about five seconds, not sure if The Rock and Earl Hebner were sure if Foley was okay. And now after all this, after all of this, they've been fighting for about 20 minutes, beating the hell out of each other with anything they can get a hold on. And The Rock grabs some handcuffs. Now Foley's unprotected, hands are cuffed behind his back, and The Rock just starts laying rights to Mick Foley. And if you're a fan of Mick Foley and you've watched Mick Foley, you know that in the back, before that match started, he said, why don't you go ahead and hit me full force? He did it with Vader. He's going to do it with The Rock. The Rock is just laying in to him. And he gets a couple shots in, you know, a little headbutt here, a low blow there, and another low blow. But basically, this is all Rock after this. Then The Rock, after taking control from the few low blows because, I mean, Foley had his hands behind his back. He can't fight for that long, so good psychology. He gets the chair and delivers the corporate elbow, as he was calling it at the time, to the chair on Foley's head. Foley's still handcuffed, mind you, so he can't put like his hand in between his head and the chair to kind of cushion the impact. No, no, Foley takes it. Of course he does, because he's Mick Foley. People's elbow, corporate elbow, right to the face. And now we get to the concern. This was 1999, guys. I was 15, 16 years old. I'm sure I was popping for everything like I was when I was watching it again, but I don't think I was concerned. I was concerned. It's 2020, and I was concerned for the health of Mick Foley from a show I watched that was from 1999. He took 10, count them, 10, not one, not three, not five, 10 unprotected headshots with a chair. That 10th one was to the back of the head, but I popped for every one of them. I covered my face. I'm feeling concerned. I'm like, my God, it was truly a brutal, good story. 
and it's a wonder Foley has any brain cells left. Anyone that knows anything about the business, when you bleed normally, you just use a razor and cut your forehead and then you take some stiff shots to really make it work. Well, those stiff shots to really make it bleed were done with a chair. Great finish. I remember watching it. I was like, there's no way McFoley said that. Like when I watched it, I knew that was a recording and they came out and said it the next night on Raw, but I thought everything was really well done and that's a matchup to go back and watch. Get ready. The main excursion is coming up next. Triple H, Chris Jericho, last man standing. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you your main excursion of the Bruise Cruise podcast episode six, Brutal Games, only the second last man standing match that the WWF had had at that point. The year before, in February of 1999, The Rock and McFoley had the first last man standing in WWF history. One of the main things about this last man standing match that was completely different from The Rock and McFoley's was that Chris Jericho and Triple H had a wrestling match and I'll, I'll delve into that a little bit further as my breakdown of this match progresses. The lead up was pretty good. About half of the package was good. They tried something different. I think it was Michael Hayes in the background. It, it just sounded weird like an after school special until the voiceover was over and then JR's comments through video package really set the tone for the matchup. I forgot that the Brooklyn Brawler beat Triple H because of Chris Jericho leading up to this and not only that but Chris Jericho had kissed Stephanie McMahon as well really infuriating Triple H no titles were on the line this was just two guys that wanted to get a hold of each other in the worst way possible the Smackdown before DX brutalizes Chris Jericho with a sledgehammer he is coming into this matchup taped and injured with bruised ribs and he's got to play the game in a last man standing match and that was Triple H's focus the whole time, those rips. He had control for a vast majority of this matchup, and it was because he focused on the ribs constantly, and they wrestled a match around it. There was very minimal use of weapons, which is what makes this last man standing match so special. I mean, not only for me, because it was truly Chris Jericho's coming out party, and this match really showed what he could do and the toughness he could show. And he wasn't just a charismatic, funny guy. He could go toe to toe with the top guys in the business. And it was also some of the little things in this match that made it so important. You know, we all know by now, if you watch wrestling, that one of Jericho's patented maneuvers is that springboard dropkick when his opponent's out on the apron. So he jumped to the top rope and did this one to Triple H. So there's already that. And that was early on in the matchup. So there's already that trying to push the psychology of he needs to take it a little bit further to beat the game in this type of match. Jericho even took a suplex from Triple H on the outside of a concrete floor. I mean, this is 2000. Yeah, they had their sets and their whatnot, but a lot of the times the entryway was just concrete floor. There were no little bit of ramps. Not that that metal ramp probably feels much better than concrete, but concrete is probably 
probably harder than that diamond plate ramp that they use. It just seemed like Triple H had an answer for everything that Chris Jericho was trying to do. One of the more brutal counters was one of the more effective counters was when Triple H got his knees up when Jericho went for the lion's salt. I had forgotten how hard Jericho used to hit when he did the lion's salt when he was much smaller. And to elaborate a little bit further on how good this match really is, if you love professional wrestling or you want to get into the business, I highly recommend. I mean, you know, I, I was in the business for a cup of coffee, but, but I would highly recommend that you go back and watch this because it was perfectly structured from the beginning to the end. Triple H is bigger, more experienced, coming in fresh. Jericho, young, upstart, smaller, bruised ribs. Everything they did made sense. And they built to the minimal weapon use. And when I say minimal, I mean like I'm pretty sure Triple H took two chair shots and a sledgehammer and that was it. And Triple H got busted open, which is always nice to see in Last Man Standing, and he was always good at it. I had also forgotten how much the crowd loved Chris Jericho all the way back then. When Chris had been beaten down and Triple H was just counting him out, after the two chair shots, he was able to lock in the walls of Jericho, and I swear everybody in that arena jumped to their feet. They were ready for Chris Jericho to ascend to the top then, and they got even louder once he put Stephanie in the walls of Jericho. Say what you will about Triple H and some parts of his career, everybody claims Golden Shovel. Well, sometimes I don't think that's the case, and maybe none of the times the those were the cases. I covered him and Booker T. After watching that match and watching this one, I'm I'm sure back then I was complaining and saying, oh sure, he buried another star, but really, he kind of didn't. He put Chris Jericho over. The matchup was astounding, and the fact for the finish that Chris Jericho went for the lion salt off the barricade, attempting to go through the Spanish announce table, Triple H was able to recover and backdropped Jericho through the announce table, which of course causes damage to them both. And the simple fact that Triple H got up at nine and then fell back down after Jericho was counted 10 speaks volumes of how much he wanted Chris Jericho to succeed. He might not have felt that way about everybody. And I'm sure there's other guys that don't feel that way about everybody. And I said it once, the key to this match and why it was so good is because it was a wrestling match. Yes, the stipulation was last man standing, but those two wrestled. Pro Wrestling 101, once again, I talk about it a lot. Keep it simple, stupid. It was simple as hell, but it worked because of the psychology that was used and they built to the weapon use. The chair didn't come out until Triple H was just sick and tired of Jericho getting up. So once again, go back watch this match up on the network. It was totally worth my time, and I hope your time on the Bruise Cruise podcast was worth it, because I sure enjoyed it. Once again, thank you all for tuning in, Bruiser Nation. We will see you again next Thursday at 1 o'clock to talk about two matches from wrestling's past. 